Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm joined today by Nicole Robinson, a research associate in the Allison Center for Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Ms. Robinson's research and writing focuses on political, economic, and security challenges present in the Middle East and North Africa. Ms. Robinson recently wrote a really interesting report titled Women, Peace, and Security Initiative, Advancing U.S. Interests Through Women's Empowerment, which discusses the ripple effect of investing in women for political and societal stability, as well as recommendations for the implementation of the Women, Peace, and Security Initiative. This article touches on some really interesting topics, and I'm really pleased that Nicole agreed to join us today. So, Nicole, welcome to Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Thank you for that really kind introduction, Dan. Happy to do it. Tell me about how you got started professionally. How did you come to the area of study that you are doing now at the Heritage Foundation? How did you come to the Heritage Foundation? My background is actually in the Middle East. So in my undergraduate and graduate studies, I focused on the region, primarily the Levant region, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that encompasses the countries of Lebanon, uh, Syria, Iraq, and mostly Israel slash the West Bank. So my area of focus has been there. I've spent about a year and a half in Jordan, actually, working and studying. After that, after I graduated, I came to Heritage, and I've been at Heritage for about three years now. Where did you go to college and where did you go to grad school? So I went to my undergrad at University of Minnesota. I'm from the Twin Cities. Uh, Yes, great. Go Gophers. And then I am actually in my second year of my graduate studies program at Georgetown University in their Master's of Arts in Arab Studies. Awesome. Great. Do you speak Arabic? I do. I spent, I guess this is my seventh year. (laughs) I feel like you never really truly stop learning the language. It's very challenging. So I can comfortably say that I can work in the language. And since I spent time in Jordan, I try to keep up on it as much as possible. So what is the concept of women, peace and security? What does that mean? I think that the initiative is super important, first of all, and two things I want to highlight is that it means that women play a really vital role in preventing and resolving conflict and that societies are more peaceful and prosperous when women participate fully in both civic and economic life and also when they're involved in conflict prevention and resolution. This mandate originally originated at the multilateral level with the UN Security Resolution 1325, which was created and adopted in 2001. So that's, you know, a little over 20 years ago. It really recognized two important points, which is that women are disproportionately affected by war and conflict, and that women's full and equal participation in conflict resolution, peace building, you know, a number of other issues is super important. Tell us about the paper that you wrote, and why did you write the paper? This paper was really two years in the making. I originally became interested in the topic actually because of a different initiative. This is during the Trump administration. Advisor Ivanka Trump was working on the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. And when I was doing the research for it and helping out there, I realized that the U.S. actually already had an initiative focused on the security element, which was the Women, Peace and Security Initiatives. I did a lot of early research on that, reached out to a few scholars on this topic. And after that, I really felt that Heritage could have a voice on this 
this issue, really bringing conservatives into the conversation, you know, coming from the Heritage Foundation. I look at this from a conservative perspective. And so I felt that there was a gap there. There was, there was initial resistance, I would say, in the building on this issue. But over time, I've really tried to, in, in writing this paper, address some of the concerns in two areas. You know, conservatives are really important because they regularly engage with religious leaders and faith-based groups, and they really understand the value of women in families and communities holding similar or the same traditional principles by these close-knit societies. And I found that that was really relevant, especially in my area of focus, which is the Middle East. And so talk about some of the messages that you want people to take away. So where, if I want to go find your paper, where can I go find your paper? And what's the title of your paper? You can find my paper on the Heritage Foundation website if you look, if you uh, search my name in the search bar. Nicole Robinson, it should be the third publication. And it's titled The Women, Peace and Security Initiative, Advancing U.S. Interests Through Women's Empowerment. Within the paper, I really wanted two takeaways that I thought were super important. The first is that women, peace and security is not only, it's not just a feminist issue, but it's also a high yield tool to provide the United States with strategic opportunities, particularly in the post-pandemic environment, uh, to open doors for potential partners and security cooperation in other areas. And also, you know, I wanted to get across in the paper that the U.S. has really taken a lead on advancing the Women, Peace and Security Initiative. In 2017, the United States adopted the Women, Peace, and Security Act, codifying into law the Women, Peace, and Security Initiative. There was a strategy in 2019. And so since then, the Department of State, Department of Defense, Homeland Security, and USAID have done a lot of work on this, and they're in you know, year two of programming. There have been a series of important UN actions around Women, Peace, and Security. Could you just walk us through those and what they seek to do? And there have been a series of actions in the U.S., and could you walk us through those? So I mentioned this before, but the first resolution that was released was UN Resolution 1325. I kind of outlined that before, but I'll just reiterate. It was a little over 20 years ago in 2001. It recognized the impact of war and conflict on women and just really recognized that women are really important in, in conflict resolution and peace building and peacekeeping. So that was first released in 2001. You know, there have been about nine other resolutions on this issue. Sort of mixed success there, but I will say that the most important thing to come out of the resolution was asking uh, countries to create national action plans, which are super important. They detail how each country would implement women, peace, and security. I state this in my paper, but as of September 2021, 98 out of 193 UN member states have adopted a national action plan. So it's really relevant, particularly for the U.S., because it provides a roadmap for areas that the United States can help advance WPS with both existing partners, but also to expand the network to other allies and potential partners. Could you talk a little bit about the role of women in conflicts and post-conflict, and how should we be thinking about these issues? First, I wanted to talk about the strategic value of women, which I think is super important. The first is that Women really bring experiences and leadership in peace and security processes that are a little bit different, different perspectives. And I think it's really important in conflict and post-conflict stages. Women are also super important because they are able to access and influence members of the community that men cannot. So they can access other women, they can access men, and they can access children. So they're super important to be included in any conflict and post-conflict processes. In particular areas, if we think about it from a conservative perspective, the Women, Peace and Security Initiative could be particularly important in three areas, which is countering violent extremism, combat effectiveness, and also peace agreements. So in terms of countering violent extremism, 
Women have been and will be extremely important for long-term intervention and in fighting against terrorism. I mentioned a couple of examples in the report, but one of them, which I like to highlight, there's a program in Morocco, it's called the Murikadat program, and it trains young female religious scholars to conduct school and home visits to young Muslims who show signs of radicalization. So these programs are super important. It's also, you know, important to recognize that women can also, like men, perpetuate violence and extremism. They're not, you know, innocent themselves. So an example of that is female recruiters actually um, of online pro-Islamic state groups were more effective than their male counterparts were in recruiting. So that's also important to think about. In terms of combat effectiveness, I mentioned this before, but again, women have access to populations that are close to men, particularly in conservative communities. So this allows them to gather intelligence or information about maybe potential security risks or to engage the local population. So an example of that is during the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, the U.S. military used female engagement teams, and they were really, really critical in engaging the population. Lastly, you know, women are super important in peace agreements. There's data out there that suggests that involving women increases the likelihood of success of peace agreements by 64%. And there are really two reasons for that. One is that women are perceived as honest brokers, and then they can also access information and community networks that men cannot. Well, look, Nicole, this is really, really interesting. Tell me about what some of your future research is going to be on. Yeah, so I'm really looking to expand this to look specifically at different regions and do a sort of case study analysis of different regions. Obviously, I will start with the Middle East since it's my area of focus, but I really am working with other colleagues in the building to look at different regions like Asia, Latin America, et cetera. So looking to expand the research portfolio to specific regions and then countries within those regions. You know, I studied abroad in Jordan and lived and worked in Jordan. So I am particularly interested in how this initiative can be applicable to Jordan. Fabulous. Within the report, when I was doing this research, I kind of identified three areas that I felt that there was a little bit of weakness. There were weaknesses in the programming, and the three areas were mostly in terms of budget, oversight, and metrics. So for the budget, the Women, Peace, and Security Act didn't allocate a specific budget line, but it did allow these agencies to use existing resources. So that's good. But the funds that were tracked were tracked during different fiscal years. So it's sort of unclear how much is being spent on the program and where it's being spent. One of my recommendations is to do a country by country breakdown. So we as conservatives and U.S. policymakers can understand where the money's going and what it's being used for and how to uh, create better programming. Secondly, you know, in terms of oversight, there are meetings at the National Security Council. There's metrics that they use in an annual review, but there's no sort of methodology or country selection on the types of countries being targeted, the reasons why, or even the women being targeted. Women are, you know, not a monolithic entity. So it's really important to understand who they're trying to target specifically. And then lastly, which I think this is actually the the most important part of the initiative is that the metric systems or the measurement systems for data collection need to be consistent across the board. The two of the implementing agencies, the State Department and also the USAID, use foreign assistance indicators, but the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security use their own metric systems. So it's really difficult to measure success across the board on these programs. So I think it's really important that they align those data collection methods so that the U.S. can really understand which which programs are effective and scale those up and then which programs are not effective and get rid of those programs. Those are some of the recommendations, but if you want to read more, feel free to read the paper. Great. Thanks, Nicole. And again, this is Nicole Robinson's piece at the Heritage Foundation on Women, Peace and Security. 
go out and find it. Congratulations, Nicole. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 